1 John chapter 3 and then verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There's quite a bit in this letter that deals with God's love for us. Father's love. If you jump over to chapter 4 and in verse 19, it clearly lays out the order of love. 4.19 says, We love Him, referring to God, because He first loved us. You cannot start loving God if He's not already loving you. You don't have that ability. And guess what? His love for you has been going on a long time. You didn't have a chance to go first. Matthew 25 and 34, it says, Come ye blessed my Father, enter into the kingdom or the inheritance that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So if you've had an inheritance, heaven, prepared for you from the foundation of the world, guess what? He loved you before then. Here it says, We perceive that love because of what Christ did. That He laid down His life for us. He sacrificed His life. It says that again over in chapter 4 and in verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God towards us. Manifested means revealed, showed. How was the love of God shown? Because that God sent His only begotten Son. That's special. That only one. That soul. We are sons of God, yes, by adoption, but Jesus is different. Jesus is God, and He is the Son eternally. He sent Him into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. He sent Him into the world, and what do you have to do? He laid down His life for us that we might live through Him. And now you might look at the grammar of that, of that we might thing, um, we, go get, we could get real hyper-technical and look at the grammar or the Greek. There's not any question in that. Okay? I won't, I won't even jump into it. If you want to look at it, we can do that in a study one-on-one. -on -one. But it's not a question of whether or not we might live as in a possibility. It's a matter of, this is a work that's completed, and the results are still showing up. All right? It was manifested. The Father's love. The order it came first... Before you knew it, before the world existed, the inheritance that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world, it's a long, long, long time. He loved you first, and He showed that to you by Jesus Christ, by sending His only begotten Son into the world to lay down His life for you. And well, what's the consequence of that? If you go back to chapter 3, how did chapter 3 start? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, this love that He's put upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. What's the consequence of that love? Is that you were called the sons of God. Now. 
But there's an inheritance that's prepared for you. And so though you're a son right now, it's going to get better. Your location will get better and you will get better. Verse 2 of that same chapter, 3-2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. You don't know what you're going to be looking like in a glorified state. Beyond the appearance, you'll be holy. You'll be pure inside and out. There'll be no more defilement, not even a scintilla, the littlest bit. It does not yet appear we shall be, but we know, by the things we know in this letter, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You will have more knowledge. You will be pure. You will be in a glorified body when he appears. Ooh-wee, it's going to be good. Alright? The Father's love. Those are some consequences of it. It came first. It was revealed by his son. His son accomplished a work. He made you sons and daughters of God. He's got more to do with you yet on his end of where you'll be and what you'll look like. And yet in verse 4 or verse 3 it says, And every man that hath this hope in him, hope of what? Hope of being glorified, hope of being with him in glory, hope of that inheritance. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Even as God is pure, we are to be purifying ourselves now. There's a lot of this that is solely God's responsibility. Agreed? Solely within His court. This verse is our court. We have a work to do. We have labors to do. We have toils and tasks to grapple with in this life. It does not change what God has done. You can't add to it. You can't take it away from it. But that doesn't mean you don't have a labor to do while you're here. Okay? If you go to chapter 2 and in verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what's another consequence of the Father's love? Your affections have changed. What is a hallmark of being dead in trespasses and sin? You don't love the Father. You may not actively feel like you're hating Him. In essence, you are, whether you feel like it or not. But you don't care. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all their heart, soul, strength, mind, and body. And guess what you cannot do when you're dead? That. You cannot love Him. And so if your chief affection is, in the, is still of the world, you're still dead. And when you're born again, you can't love the world the same way. So a consequence of the Father's love is it will change our life. Our affections will change. We won't love the world the same way we did before. Are you still going to have to battle with desiring things of the world? You better believe it. Because you ain't purified and glorified yet. You've got a sin nature. Your old man. That default that if you ain't fighting again, that's what comes out. And it's going to push you towards the things of the world, which are lead to nothing but wages of death. Let me say.
say, oh, I ain't died yet. Well, there ain't nothing positive, glorifying, or edifying in it. The affections of this world, your affections for this world will change. From the, by the Father's love. There's going to be an impact in your life. All right? When you were dead, you didn't love God. Now you do. And so, if you have that hope, if you know that love of the Lord, you're purifying your life, that involves some self-discipline. Who likes hearing about that? <laughs> you're more honest than everybody else, because you'll say it out loud. They're all thinking it too. But yeah, there's self-discipline. There's growth. There's diligence in our walk. Okay? Any of y'all walk sitting still? No. Not very successfully. Right? There's some, there's some labor. There's some toil. Alright? So we talked about over there in 2 and 3 about having that hope you purify yourself. Go down a little bit farther. Verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Who's that? Jesus. Revealed to take away our sins. What was his purpose? To take away our sins. Was there any sin in him? No, and in him was no sin. So whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. All right, does that mean you get to be scot-free, no sin? No, you wish. But if you're purifying yourself to be like him, if you want to be holy like him, if you want to be in a state that looks like him, you cannot wallow and abide in sin. Okay? Go down to verse 14. How else do we know that we're no longer dead? Verse 14 of chapter 3. We know we have passed from death unto life. That's a strange sentence. That wouldn't make sense in any other context other than this right here. We have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. There is a change from the, as a consequence of the Father's love. When He has given you new life, you go from not loving the brethren to loving them. To being able to love them. If your affections are on God as your number one thing in your life, what do you say to do after that? Greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and body. And after that said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus we know and John would tell us that you would love each other as he's loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. There's going to be a change in our life. This is an assurance that we have that there's been a change in our life when we are able and do love the brethren. The brothers and sisters who love the Lord. They have value because they're perfect and they make me feel good and they shake my hand and they you know, call me when I need it and do all the things that I expect of them. Is that what gives them value? No, it's because the Father put His love upon them and adopted them and made them His own. And they're your sibling. <laughs> An equal footing. And you're going to spend eternity together. <laughs> they're worthy of your love because your Father loved them. You ever had somebody call you up and say, hey, I got somebody coming to see you. Treat them right. They mean a lot to me. What do you do? Well, if you like that person, odds are you're going to treat them right. Well, your father has said, hey, I got some people around you. 
that I want you to treat right. They mean a lot to me. Well, if the Father means anything to you, you can obey and you're going to treat them right. That hit home? That hurt a little bit? Good. <laughs> we can do better. I can do better. Passing from death to life. All right, so our, our love for the brethren, sistren, how deep is it? Or is it just for show? Is it always? Or sometimes we just do the lip service thing. Let's give, a, let's give an example. Say, uh, say it's an important date in your marriage, um, anniversary, something like that. And you forgot. And you're driving by the cemetery on the way home and you see that there's a whole bunch of extra flowers sitting on that dumpster. you snag some and you say here honey I picked these up for you now as long as what you where you got that from isn't revealed they may think wow that's a meaningful thought but as soon as you say well I got it over there it was free you know grandma wasn't using it anymore you know? they hadn't faded yet you know how thoughtful how meaningful does that gift really come across what did it sacrifice from you nothing now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that monetary values are, are is the way to quantify that if you went and got the, the $100 floor spours, it's, you, you love more, but there's an element of sacrifice. You know that when you have interactions with people, what it costs you, whether it's in money or time or energy, makes it more meaningful, right? There's a depth to it, okay? So if I going down the road and I see all these pretty wild flowers and I stop my truck and I get out and I go and spend an hour picking the prettiest flowers and I take them out of here, honey. Now, you can make a joke about them being from the ditch, but that's, that's some effort, that's some thought, that's meaningful. It's not the value of it, but the time and energy. I'm thinking of you and I love you, right? Versus, hey, I brought you some dumpster flowers. They're both flowers. They both check the box. I have appeared with a gift, right? Um, you know, how about picking up something from the dollar store versus handmade, right? It's not about the money necessarily, but it's about the thought, the time, and energy. And you say, well, these are kind of silly examples. We never do that. Okay. When you show love one to another, when you check on each other, how much is the bare minimum? It's generally a text or nothing text, right? And maybe, maybe a call. Maybe a drop-in if it's convenient for me. Maybe it's a, a drop-in and I bring a meal. Whatever. You, you get the idea of that we can do better in loving one another. Agreed? Okay. And that there's a, an element, there's a correlation between what it costs of us, of our sacrifice and what's meaningful, okay? What's the pattern that we've got of self-sacrifice? Go to verse uh, 16, where he started from. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we see it, and we understand what love looks like. Because he laid down his life for us. What's the pattern? What's the model? How much more sacrificial can you get? It was the most. That's the highest bar. That's the pattern. 
If that's how he showed love to us, how do you think he expects us to show love to one another? Giving of self, right? Next verse, really, I get you. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a really, really, really high bar. High, high bar. So you go down to a lower bar in 17. But whosoever hath this world's good, so you got some stuff, and you see a brother who have need. You see, you know, a brother and sister who's on the side of the road and they're naked. Have no food. Right? Destitute. And you shut up your bowels of compassion. No. Not going there. Not looking at that. It says, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Now this isn't saying, you do that, you're not a child of God. It's saying, you're not living out what he's done. The love that he's put upon you freely and has commanded you to love his people, it needs to be shown. Okay? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. Right? Those are the superficial, thin layers of, yeah, I'm saying it, but there's no meat behind it. You know, that's one of those, oh, call me anytime you need something. No, I can't do it today. <laughs> it's raining. You know, I've got something in the dryer. <laughs> you know, the thinnest excuse for saying I'll be versus the follow through. Right? Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that indeed is two words. It's in deed, as in actions, as in the showing up. How do you know when somebody loves you? They show up, right? How do you want to love folks? Show up, right? When you're doing that, you are showing up in the, in the truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before them. Okay. There is a consequence in our life when we're living this out. And it's called comfort. It's called assurance. Our consciences and our hearts can be comforted and assured that we're doing what we were created to do. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll tell you your purpose and why you are here. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Your good works do not make you saved. Your good works are you fulfilling the purpose of why you're saved. You're going to glorify God. You're going to glorify Him now and you're going to glorify Him in heaven. But when you're glorifying them now, it's because you're being obedient to what he said to do. You were created to do good works. To love others in a self-sacrificial way. It's by grace that you are. It's not because you earned it. 
But now that you're in this privileged state of being born again and knowing the truth and walking the truth, living it out. Okay? That's your service. Reasonable service. Right? Your bodies are living sacrifices. So let's read a little bit on and, and we'll, we'll make another thought. Back in John chapter 3 verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How do we know if we're of the truth? If we're living out love in deed and in truth. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. What's this mean? This means we know when we're being hypocrites. It means we know when we're giving lip service to God. And we know when we're not being really loving. And that's when our own heart says, mm, we ain't doing right. And guess what? Who knows more than your heart? God. So the standard here is if your own heart's pricking you and saying, you ain't doing right, buddy, guess who knows fully? Because we tend to look at ourselves with the rose-covered glasses, right? We round up, right? You know, I did 37%. I really did 40%. I mean, you round up. Well, 40, that's pretty close to 45. And by the time you're done, you got a C grade somehow. But if you're living it out and your own heart's not convicting you, does that mean you're doing it perfectly? No. But you can have confidence in your walk with the Lord. Lord, I am trying. And I'm living out what you've called me to do. I'm loving your brothers, the, the ones that you've adopted, my brothers and sisters, not just in word, but in deed and in truth. So, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, we have confidence towards God. That's a good feeling. Lord, I, I can't control the outcome of a whole lot of things, but in my diligence and how I serve you, i got a lot to do with that. You get, the chance, you get to deal with the results of how that affects other people because guess what? You're not loving your brothers and sisters to change them. Right? That's up to God. And a lot of that responsibility is on them. And so we can't make our service to one another conditional on, well, I've been loving you for about three weeks now and you ain't gotten any better, so I'm done. <laughs> right? You love because God's told you to love. It's to serve Him and to glorify Him regardless of of the results. Okay? And often you'll get some bad results. You know, my dad made a joke about, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Well, keep serving the Lord anyway, even if you don't get the positive feedback that you think you ought to get. More often than not, if you got it, you probably get swole-headed and think you're doing something good rather than, <laughs> rather than serving from a, a pure heart of it. I'm doing this because I love the Lord rather than searching for accolades. Alright? So if our heart condemns us not, we have confidence towards God. If you go over to chapter 4, we're talking about that confidence. It can also be translated boldness. It says, Herein is our love made perfect. This is 4 and 17. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. If you are striving to live like the Lord now, follow the example of Him now, the day of judgment doesn't have to be scary. shouldn't be scary to you anyway, but you can have boldness and confidence of, Lord, I'm here and I'm striving to serve you now. Here and as our love made perfect, we may have boldness in the day of judgment. So that confidence towards God, that's, that's today. That's all the way to the day of judgment. All right. 
Verse 22, there's also a confidence when you pray. Sometimes I don't feel very confident when I pray. It's probably a bad thing. It's true. It says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If I'm keeping his commandments and I'm doing those things that are pleasing in his sight, what do you think I'm going to be asking for? Things that keep his commandments and are pleasing in his sight. And what do you think he's really likely to grant? Things that help you keep his commandments and are pleasing in his sight. You're seeking his will first. How often do we pray things that are selfish and that are carnal and are worldly and they're just not leading us closer to him and they're not pleasing to him? Um, Over in chapter 5, in verse 15, it says, And... And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. Let's go back up to 14. This is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything, put this, you know, underline this, according to his will, he heareth us. Now, he is not a genie where you can pull the magic lever and somehow get, I can get anything I want. But the beauty of prayer is, is it, it, even in that process, it's conforming you to what do you want, Lord? What would be best? And Lord, I trust you with that. And so if you're asking for, Lord, your will to be done, guess what's going to be done? His will! Right? And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Doing those things. Is doing an active <coughs> thing? Yeah. Does that involve sitting on the pew and listening to the preacher? Is that, is that the only doing you're to do? No. You're about done with that, so you've got to go on and do it the rest of the week, right? Doing the things that are pleasing in His sight. How do you determine what's pleasing in His sight? Well, this is what I feel today. Yeah, don't trust your heart. Your, your emotions are quite fickle, right? You ever had an upset stomach? Things will feel really different, right? Oh, Scrooge in the Christmas Carol who's talking about these ghosts are more like a bout of indigestion. Or... Don't trust your heart. Trust his word. He's told you what pleases him. And what his commandments are. Well, 23 gives you the the high-level summary, and this is his commandment. If we ask, we receive because we keep his commandment. Well, here's a commandment. That this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Catch all three of those words. You're not just believing on Jesus the man, but you're believing on the Son of God, Jesus who came as a man, And He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. He is the Perfect One. The Perfect Sacrifice. That's who you believe on. That's who you trust in. Every day. He's the one who's raised up to have a position that outranks everybody. Alright? The name that's higher than all names. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who you put your trust in each day. Day! That's a commandment and a suggestion. Right? And yet so often, 
We put our hope and our trust in feeble things, peoples, systems, expectations. This, that we, here's a commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Lord repeats Himself a little bit. We tend to forget a little bit. He's gracious enough to remind us a lot of it. We should believe on the name of His Son and love one another as He gave us commandment. He that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him. You want to dwell or abide in the Father? You want to stay close to Him? Keep His commandments. You say, well, that's not that hard to say. I know. But you've got to do it. I feel far from the Lord. Time for some self-examination. He hasn't changed. Right? He's still in the light. That's where we need to abide, dwell, stay, draw back to, return, repent. Right? There's a lot of change about us, not for him. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. That individual keeping, that's us, dwells in him, God. And he in him, that he is God. God's dwelling in us. The only reason you would have any desire to keep his commandments, the only reason you would strive to is because God's already there. And you can be assured of that. If you pass from death unto life, you love the brethren, and you're striving to keep his commandments, it's because he's there. He dwells with you. And hereby we know that he abideth in us. How do we know he abides with us? How do we know that he's there? By the spirit which he's given us. He has given us of his spirit, that indwelling Holy Spirit. Now there's a warning going on in verse, you know, chapter 4, just continues around. Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. All right? There are going to be those who teach things that ain't true. And just because somebody says, I come speaking on behalf of God, does not mean that they speak on behalf of God. There may be a spirit within them, but it ain't a God if they're not thinking, speaking things that are in accordance to His will. And so it gives you the baseline test. A spirit here, the one that comes from God is going to do this. A spirit that comes from God is going to confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of God. All right? So, a spirit that comes from God is going to confess that. Anyone who says Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh, that ain't a God. Just chunk it in the trash. That's, that's nothing. Jesus Christ. Not Jesus the man. But Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the holy one, the Messiah, the whole package. You can't just get a piece of it. If it's someone coming, speaking in God's behalf, he's going to have at least that. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. All right? This is the spirit of Antichrist, which ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Now, if the spirit of Antichrist was already in the world back in John's day, what do you think it still is? In the world today. All right? Antichrist is opponent of Christ, someone who tries to belittle, to besmirch, to defame the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Ye are of God, little children and have overcome them. Who's them? Those false teachers. 
those false spirits, those opponents of Christ, those who would try to belittle Him. You've already overcome them because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's in you? Christ. God! He that dwells in you. You pass from death unto life. It's because he's there. And he's greater than he that is in the world. They that are of the world, they are of the world. Again, talking about these false teachers. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. False teachers are going to be popular. Dead ears are more than happy to hear it. It resonates with them. It hits their logic. It's not on a spiritual level at all. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. What does that mean? It means somebody who's born again recognizes the truth when they hear it. And if you're not, you ain't got any use for it. He that is not of God heareth us not. So you can... Share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody and you're going to have one of two reactions. Either somebody who knows God and the Lord gets the glory for how that reaction goes or somebody who doesn't. Either they're not born again yet or they're never going to be born again and they won't hear it. They got nothing for it. There's nothing to the carnal mind that makes that appealing. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. Heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. We notice in a pattern. Is this important to, well, to the Lord written through Apostle John? Yeah, beloved, let us love one another. Now, when you see the expression, let us, in the Bible, who's got the responsibility for that action? I can open up the door and I can let you in, right? I'm not going to sit here and say, Pray, Lord, open that door for him, right? When it's got a letting, that's on us. This is in our court, our responsibility. That means we can do it well or we can do it shoddy. Right? Let us, beloved, man, what a title, dearly beloved of God. That's just a reminder of why you're doing it. Dearly beloved of God, beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. What's the source of that love? God himself. His pattern, his new birth, his creature that he's created. You're his workmanship. He's the potter, you're the clay. He's made you into something created unto good works. He gets the credit for it. That love source is Him. Love coming down. Love going out, going out right? John Piper likes the vertical and the horizontal love. But, <laughs> right? Let us love one another, for love is of God. He's the source. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. How do you know you pass from death and life? You're loving the brethren. Well, if that's the case, then you know God. And you've been born of God. He's the origin of that love. And you know God. This is for your own heart's assurance and comfort. This is not for going around and pecking off other people. Well, they're not loving very much. They must not know God. Right? They must not know God. 
This is for us. These are things that you can have an assurance and a confidence. Because sometimes we get low, right? And we say, well, I even want the Lord's. Do you love the brethren? If you do, you can have an assurance. The only reason you do that is because God loves you. And you know Him. And you've got that Holy Spirit dwelling within you. It's an assurance that He gives you. But we can do it better, right? Let us love one another. Motivation, love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth Him. So you are acting like the creature you were created to be. Fulfilling your purpose. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. People will take this verse and they'll reduce down God to just that you know, three words. Well, God's just love. Okay. Who's the focus of this verse? It's, the focus is on us, of how we reflect His love. Right? You want an, an expanded definition of God's love? Go to Exodus, what's it, 34, 6. This is when... God put Moses in the cleft. He had his glory pass by, and then the Lord said something. He, he proclaimed his goodness as he went by. It says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, for, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity upon the fathers, upon the children, upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's godly love. That's bigger than the little cheap Hollywood version of love that we understand today. Mercy, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Those that He chooses to show mercy upon, it's an infinite pool of mercy. And yet He's not going to clear the guilty. There's not an overlooking of sin. For all those that he's going to show mercy to, the price is going to have to be paid. And that even of itself is a manifestation of his holiness and his love for you that he was willing to offer the highest possible cost, his only begotten son, to redeem you. So, if that's the pattern, this great self-sacrificial love for his people, and then he's commanded you as my people... Love one another. Do it! <laughs> right? Do it. Not at the teaspoon level. Not at the bare minimum. It's not to make anyone else think I'm so great. But it's one way to assure your heart between you and God. Lord, I know you love me. And I know you've commanded me to do this. And I'm going to do it. The best of my ability. And as I'm doing that, I know that I feel a peace between me and you. I've got an assurance that I'm living out what you've told me to do. Verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Where is that love? That He sent His Son. That we would live. We who were dead, we who were not worthy, he commended His love to us when we were yet in our sins. Herein is love. Does that mean our brothers and sisters have to be worthy to receive some love? No. That's the pattern. Herein is love. Not that 
we love God, but that He loved us. He's the focus. He is the source. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big word, propitiation. He made it right between us and God. Things that were completely wrecked. He paid a price and made it right. And so we can stand before God now, holy and without blame. And go to Him in prayer right now with boldness because of Christ's work. And one day we'll stand for Him in glorified bodies, holy and without blame, because He was our propitiation, because He was the price that had to be paid, the atonement. Beloved, if God so loved us, if then, if He did, which He did, we ought also to love one another. Amen. You've got this great high standard. And that's the model. And it comes down to us. And a commandment to follow that model. And so, folks don't like the word duty, but there's a duty, there's an obligation, there's a responsibility, and they a privilege... To love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that includes ones who don't go to your church. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. God's invisible. Jesus is His express image. No man's seen Him. But if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfect in us. His love is complete. His love is matured and showing forth. Right? That's the effect that needs to happen. It's not to keep God's love buried and hidden. Yes, I know I'm loved. Stay away from me. That love is to be manifested and revealed. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Because we wouldn't do it if He didn't. And His love is perfected in us. Made mature, complete. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. That's an additional reference to the assurance that we have of that we're His because He's given us of His Spirit. He gives you comfort and teaches you truth, things that you cannot get on your own. You can't manufacture it. You cannot um, have that assurance without that Holy Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, that organized cosmos, right? Orderly arrangement. All the elect family of God. It's going to be the Savior of every single one of them, Jew and Gentile. We have seen, now, here, right, and you've got an apostle. He literally had seen the Son and and heard the Father speak on multiple occasions at the baptism, behold, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. This is my son. Hear ye him on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? The Father sent the Son into the world. He's testifying that. Whosoever should confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. This is not a magic formula that says, here's how you get into God. But if God dwells in you, you are going to confess. That Jesus is the Son of God. You are going to acknowledge that. You cannot stand opposed to that. The Spirit within you teaches you the truth. And you hear it. 
and you want to live it out. God dwells in him and he in God. Jesus is the Son of God. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Have you known the love of God? Do you believe that love of God? God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Well, what does it mean to dwell in love? Well, herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Because as he is, so are we in this world. We are emulating. You know, you have uh, sports superstars, Hollywood people, you know, get that, oh, this is my idol. I want to dress like them. I want to have my hair like them. I got their posters like them. I want to be everything like them. I walk and talk with them, you know. Who should your idol be? And I'm using that in a clever sense, right? God himself! He should be the one. I want to be like that in all respects. And one of the biggest attributes, you're not going to be all powerful. You're not going to be all knowing. But is there any limit on how much you can love? And what looks like him a whole bunch? Self-sacrificial love. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. This is not, I'm going to scare you out of hell. This is the love of the Father. This, this is not a fear. This is, this is a comfort this is a joy. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You're not trying to earn his love. And y'all know that. But what a comfort. As you're living out that love of knowing that this is what I'm called to do. This is my purpose. I can have boldness in the day of judgment. That's how I stand before my Lord saying, Lord, I loved. You loved me a whole lot. No, I wasn't worthy. And you've told me to love my brothers and sisters. And I've been doing that. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You can't get to loving the brother if you're not loving God first. And you can't love God if you don't love your brother. It's a package deal. Right? And this is the commandment that we have from him. That he who loveth God. Do you love God? Do you love God? He that loveth God, love his brother also. You're like, why are you going through this so fast? Because it's all the same message. Right? You may feel like a, a nail right now or getting hammered. Love your brother. Love your brother. Love your brother. Love your brother. I didn't write it. <laughs> Lord knew us. He knew our thick skulls and hard hearts. Whosoever believeth. This is chapter 5. Same thing. Whoever, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Can you believe that Jesus is a Christ? Well, if you can, congratulations, you're born of God. He gets the credit. Amen. 
Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, God, Jesus, loveth him, sorry, everyone that loveth him that begat, you are born of whom? You're born of God. So who's whom that begat? Who begat you? God begot you. So that's what it says. Everyone that loveth him that begot, everyone that loveth God, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Who, who are the others begotten of God? All your other brothers and sisters. If you love the parent, you love his children too. Okay? Package deal. Well, I just don't have anything in common with those people at church. you got God. you got a whole lot in common. All right. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Well, that's interesting. I'm talking about loving as an assurance. Here it is. Now we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. How do I know that I really love the children? Well, because I love God and I keep His commandments. See how these all... Cycle together. It's like being in the washing machine. You're, we're all going the same direction. You love God? Yeah, you love His people. You love His people? Yeah, you love God. You keep His commandments. You love God? You keep His commandments. You love God? You love His people, right? Wow. For this is the love of God, that we should keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous, right? He is not asking you to go out here and put the world on your shoulders and be some kind of Atlas figure where you've got to fix it all. Not saying you need to go live some monastic life where you swear off all possessions and you walk around naked like Isaiah had to do for several years. Um, his commandments aren't grievous. They're not. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. All right, I'll, I'll pause there because we'll have to get into a whole other kettle of fish. If we love him, because he first loved us. If we love him, then we are going to love his people and keep his commandments. If you keep his commandments, you are going to be loving his people and him. If you love his people, you're going to love him and keep his commandments. I've got the same three sides of this circle. Now go do it.